Welcome back to Second and Short. It is April 5th, 2023, and there's really not much going on, out on outside of the MLB. Uh, but damn, has it been good. Uh, we've got a Luke double episode this week. Uh, Brock is still on his hiatus, but we're here to have fun, baby. We're starting it off MLB weekend recap. Everything opening weekend. Um, and then we're going to do our top five and bottom five MLB teams coming off of the opening weekend. Going to have some NFL news. We're going to outline three of our favorite offensive draft prospects, not including quarterbacks. We're going to hit Do You Remember. We're going to get out of here. Going to try and make it a little bit quick today. We both got early mornings. Luke, without further ado, let's fucking do it. Let's fucking do it, Grayson. What we got? Give me All right. So the weekend recap. Just running through any games, player performances, just moments in general from the weekend. I'm starting it off Saturday. The Rangers put up 16 on the Phillies, including a leadoff home run from Marcus Simeon on the second pitch of the game. This was just the beginning of the embarrassment of the weekend. <laughs> like It was so bad day in and day out of this Phillies Rangers series. Yeah, and the Phillies are a team that now I feel like they're loaded enough to where we can't blame it all on Reese Hopkins being, you know, out for the season. I mean, this is just a this is poor poor play. Yeah, look, it, it all comes down to just because you're missing Reese Hoskins and you're missing Bryce Harper doesn't excuse the fact that your perennial Cy Young candidate pitchers in Aaron Nolan and Zach Wheeler are giving up runs. Zach Wheeler gave up four earned runs. He only went through 4.1 innings. He still got seven strikeouts, so he's still doing his thing. It's just not effective, and that is what you're missing here is effectiveness. The Phillies just, I don't know what's going on here because if you look at the lineup, on surface level, you'd wonder, like, why is this team not performing? Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber, JT Romuto. Castellanos, like, Bohm's been playing pretty well. Brandon Marsh is supposed to have a great glove in center. It hasn't looked very good. Like, it's just very confusing to me. They made bullpen changes in the offseason. They added Gregory Soto. They added Craig Kimbrell. And it's just not working. And I, I don't know what it is to attribute it to other than the fact that they simply can't get it done anywhere around the field. Yeah. Um, and even I think in the, in opening day um, on the Thursday game, they even were whooping up on DeGrom and then gave the entire game away. I mean, insane. I, I remember at work, you know, some of the guys were talking about it and we were like, damn, like the Phillies are really beating up on DeGrom. And then sure enough, like, you know, 30 minutes later, we're like, wow, this entire game is upside down. <laughs> so I, I know the Phillies, uh, as we were, um, about to start recording, they just beat the Yankees. I think that was either their first or second win of the year. Sad it had to be against my team, but you know maybe they can start working things out. But they, I don't know. Even against the Yankees, they only put up four runs. Yeah, it's very puzzling because they're coming off of a World Series. Arguably, they've gotten better, and it just seems like it's not working. So obviously, look, teams have got to settle in. It's the beginning of the season. Yeah, you know, this sets the pace for what's to come. But look, April and October are very far apart in the year. And I'm sure this team's going to turn it around at some point. But 
when you see these inconsistencies early, it's certainly concerning. For sure. I, I, yeah, definitely. They got to work out these kinks a little bit faster. Cause I mean, there are a lot of good teams that have started off super hot. Um, you know, some examples are teams, the Yankees and the Braves have been really hot right off the bat. Not too sure what's going on in Philadelphia right now. They got to yeah, work it out for sure. Luke, any moments you've liked from this past weekend? I actually have a particular moment, not necessarily a game, but a particular moment. And this is a big deal for me as a Yankees fan. So obviously, you know, you and I have both talked about Anthony Volpe on the podcast before, but I can't remember if it was the Thursday, Saturday, or Sunday game. But there was a there was a point in one of those games where Volpe was on first, and the one of the Giants pitchers just threw over to first, and Volpe was just standing there. Now, it kind of – it was a very underrated moment for me because as a Yankees fan, I cannot remember the last time we had anybody that was good at base running or any speed on the base pass. Now we got Volpe who uh, stole a base off of his first hit, which was amazing. But in this particular moment, I just feel like, you know, the fact that he – that someone on the Yankees is making pitchers consider steals is absolutely amazing. Now, I did hear a lot of comments saying that it was like, you know, Oh, he was just trying to reset the pitch count. Well, let me think how I want to think. <laughs> I, I think it's because Volpe is a threat, and I'm excited to see you know more of him in a Yankees jersey for sure. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see it. He, you know, I, I believe he uh, he got a hit in opening day. He's been in the lineup consistently. You know, they've got him at the bottom of the order. Makes sense, young guy. That's just going to happen. But I really do think he's going to make an impact. Sure. I think actually out of the Yankees three or four hits, he was actually one of them tonight. So he's looking to be effective. Um, I, I still see some room for improvement though, obviously. Um, offensively, I think he needs to work himself into better counts. I saw a lot of O2s from Volpe that he was trying to work through and it just kind of looked painful to watch sometimes. But defensively, he is so acrobatic and he has an awesome arm on him but he needs to stop second guessing. I have seen him pump his fucking throwing arm so many times and it's very frustrating to watch. Of course, it hasn't led to an error yet, but you know, he's got to be careful with that. But Volpe, you know, very excited. I definitely see a blueprint with him. So, looking forward to seeing more of him, like I said earlier. Yeah. He has looked fantastic. I want to talk about my young guy, Spencer Strider. Oh, he yeah. got his sophomore campaign started off right. Let me tell you, six shutout innings, nine Ks in the win with the help of a leadoff home run from Ronald Acuna and a three RBI day from Matt Olson. They take the win 7-1 over the Nationals Saturday in that one. And as of just a few minutes ago, they have started off. Um, oh, sorry, I just totally forgot their record. Um, they've started off 4-1. and one. Uh, Couldn't ask for more. Obviously, the Nationals stopped the sweep with a fantastic showing from Mackenzie Gore in his Nationals debut. But the Braves look fantastic. The offense needs to be a little bit more consistent. Definitely need to help out the pitchers. But I really couldn't be happier with 4-1. and one. Uh, Yeah, and Spencer Strider, dude, wow. That, that outing was really impressive, especially I think last season. You quote me if I'm – or, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Grayson. But I think Strider um, last season, if I remember, was kind of slowing down wasn't as good as he was like mid season. So it's really good to see him, you know, come out opening day and just look absolutely lights out. Yeah. He got 
a little banged up there at the end of the season, which, look, it's going to happen. Young pitcher threw a ton of innings, uh, was up all season in his rookie year. It's kind of inevitable he's going to get banged up at the end of the year. But come out like that, I, I can't ask for more. Yeah, yeah, big time. Was that it for you? Because I have one more. Yeah, go ahead. I got a couple more so, after you. Okay, cool. Um, the Guardians A's game. Once again, I don't remember which one this is. It was the 12 to 11 game that the Guardians won is the game that I'm talking about. Yeah. Anyway, in the ninth inning, the A's are, uh, the Guardians are up 10 to 8. And of course, you know, the man himself, Emmanuel Classe, is going to take, um, take the ball to, you know, try to finish the ninth inning in a save opportunity. But Kemp singled. Peterson grounds into a double play. So, you know, we're looking at two outs now. Um, Classe has a four-pitch walk, and then Seth Brown absolutely smacked a fucking, I mean, like a piss missile off of Classe. And it was just straight into center field, which, Grayson, I know you know this, in Oakland Coliseum, a home run to center field means that that ball was absolutely murdered. Absolutely murdered. And it was just, I don't know, a cool moment I wanted to bring up that Classe, you know, as good as he is, couldn't really finish the game there. Of course, the Guardians ended up getting the win. But, you know, what a ninth inning that was. What a game that was. Yeah, and Classe actually ended up qualifying for the win because he came back out. Uh, or, sorry, he was the pitcher on record when they put up those runs in the top of the 10th. Or, yeah, the top of the 10th. So, um yeah, an interesting bounce back because obviously the outing was not good for him. One inning pitch, two earned runs, two walks, still picks up a win. So, you know, it's just damage control there from the Guardians, and that's what you like to see, especially from a team that made the playoffs. They look really good going into this year. That win put them at 4-1. and one. You want to see this kind of resilience where, yes, Emmanuel Classe is an elite closer, but you can still rely on your lineup to get him out of a pinch, and that's exactly what they did. Yeah, and the Guardians, uh, I want to highlight them, um, you know, whenever we get to the top uh, the top five and the bottom five teams, but yeah, they have some bats on that team thus far. I mean, they have, you know, Mike Zanino looks good. Jose Ramirez, obviously, he looks like he could be an AL MVP at this point. Um, Josh Naylor, Miles Straw, all those guys look great for the Guardians. They, they're playing really good baseball. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about that Stanton home run because my God, 485, 117.8 off the bat. Fuck. That thing was smacked. Dude, his batting stance, it, it just makes me giggle. It's like a, it's like a bulldog. Like it's just such like a power stance. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense, but like Stanton's stance just screams like I only want to kill this baseball. Yeah. No, like tactic behind it i just want to murder this ball <laughs> yeah he certainly stands in a way that you know might get you struck out a couple of times but super like as closed off as you could get like hands quick to the ball it's ridiculous just watching Giancarlo stanton hit a baseball but let's talk about the phillies real quick um on sunday they joined the royals and twins at zero and three they were alone at 0-4 after their loss to the Yankees on Monday. I never would have thought the Phillies would have been the last team to get a win. But what a good team for this to happen to. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Honestly. 
Let's see. Other ones. So Austin Riley put a ball in the concourse at Bush Stadium. Uh, that one, I believe, was 470-something. Um, that was on route to the 8-4 win uh, in the series opener against the Cardinals, and then they just took the win 4-1 in the second game. Uh, Brewers put up 10 on the Mets uh, just yesterday. They uh, led by six shutout innings from Freddie Peralta. You cannot ask for more out of Freddie Peralta, a guy who really showed up last year, slowed down at the end, and has appeared to pick it up right, right, right where he left off uh, later last season. And then the Twins and Rays were the only teams undefeated through four games. And the Rays, I, is it the Rays or the Twins that have remained undefeated? I can't quite remember. I think it's the Rays. Pretty sure it's the Rays. Lost can't my, check real fast. Lost my yeah. It yeah, is the Rays. Yeah. That's crazy. I, I I knew that the Rays were going to look better this year. Did not expect a 5-0 and start, but granted, Tigers and Nationals to start the season kind of makes sense. Yeah, but at least, hey, I mean, at least they've been perfect. You know, baseball is a sport where you play, you know, teams back to back to back to back. So, I mean, it, it's pretty impressive that they've been able to stay 5-0. and But, you know, they, like you're, like what you said, they haven't really played anybody. But, hey, how about the bottom of the AL East, Toronto? Yeah, that one's interesting. I, I couldn't explain it, honestly. Yeah, they're on a three-game losing streak as well, too. Yeah, they have KC. Yeah, that's that's there. true. Uh, what's the score right now in that game? Um, uh, or is it over? I think it just ended. Yeah, Blue Jays got the win, I believe. Okay, so two and three. Yep, two and three for the Toronto Blue Jays. So they, I believe, will still be sitting at the bottom, uh, at least tied up with Boston right now. But definitely a team that should have gotten off to a better start. Um, I, we have to see more from the pitching there, mainly in relief. Um, it, it seems like a lot of their games are getting lost in these middle to late innings, and it's very surprising. They have a, a solid bullpen. It's obviously not the best, but then again, the starting pitching. Jose Barrios is probably the most volatile starter you can find, <laughs> and he showed it. Um against the Royals in his start. They lost 9-5. to five. He gave up three in the first and then four in the fourth. And then two more, uh, or one more in the sixth, and then they pulled him, and then they gave up another one from the bullpen. It's just, <laughs> it's crazy to see this stat line here for Barrios. 5.2, eight earned runs, seven strikeouts, two walks. Yeah. Alex Manoa wasn't much better either. He also only went um, uh, like pretty much three innings, and Manoa ended up giving giving up five runs too. So, yeah, kind of rough, rough starting pitching there. Yeah, um, from a rotation that a lot of people had some great things to say about. Obviously, Kevin Gosman had a great one. I believe he went six or seven innings, uh, no earned runs, but you got to see more. Alec Manoa needs to be better. Jose Brios certainly needs to be better. It's crazy to see. Chris Bassett, too, I'd also put in there. Um, he also had a pretty terrible outing as well. Um, but Matt Chapman looks like one of the best hitters in the entire league right now. 
Yeah, a guy who tear. has <laughs> never been known for his hitting. Yeah. Yeah, the guy's on a tear, right? Like, he's batting in the four hole, which is crazy. But, I yeah, I, I can't explain it. But right now, he's batting 579, uh, a 619 on-base percentage. Like, that's... That's some serious stuff. Obviously, it's going to slow down. Nobody can hold that up for a whole season, but damn. Yeah, off to a great start. He's actually, his batting average has actually gone up since uh, I wrote my notes here because I have him at 533. Yeah, he went three for four tonight. Damn. <laughs> he just keeps doing it. All right, Luke, any other moments for, oh, actually, I almost forgot. Anthony Rendon. <laughs> oh, his, yeah. Uh, interesting interaction with a fan. So, okay. I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go yeah, ahead. So, post game, he approaches. I'm totally blanking on who they were playing. Uh, the athletics? Yes. Yes. The, uh, he approaches an athletics fan after the game, uh, grabs him by the, the like shirt or jersey he was wearing, and is like, I heard you call me a bitch or uh, whatever he said. And the guy was like, No, I didn't. <laughs> he sounded so guilty too. He was like, "Dude, I, I didn't say that." And then, like Rendon said something to the effect of like, "Just because you're a fan doesn't mean you can't get hit or something like that." And then, like the guy like kind of pulls or like Rendon kind of lets go of him and like swings at him a little bit, and then walks yes. off. And he's been handed, uh, I believe, a five game suspension. Yeah, something like that. It's it- just like. It's silly. If you you make millions of dollars and you're you're gonna go after a fan like that, I I understand like you know fans getting up under your skin, but like, and I love the trash talk. Like if Rendon would have come up to him and like cussed him out or something, that would have been kind of cool. But to like take a shot at him, like it's just just you know deserved it. I mean, and that fan was probably right. Rendon probably is you know he, that's a pussy move in my opinion. Don't, it is. don't try to hit fans for you know calling you names. Unless it's, you know, like ridiculous. But if you're just calling a, you know, a player a bitch, totally fine. <laughs> yeah. I fucking do it at baseball games. Yeah, me too. I've, I've certainly sat in the outfield and heckled Cody Bellinger when he was with the Dodgers. <laughs> what, what are you saying to Cody Bellinger? Uh, anything. Anything I could use <laughs> against him. I'd pull, I'd, pull up like, I'd pull up like advanced stats that he was bad at. Just be like, Cody, explain this. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, Luke, let's get into this top five, bottom five from the MLB opening weekend. Let's start off with our top five teams. Uh, we'll go one through five. Who do you got at one? Okay. Uh, I got my very own New York Yankees. Um, I knew it. Do you want me to explain why or are we just going to name the team? Let's name the teams, and then we can kind of go back and talk. Okay, so I have the Yankees at number one. All right, I have the Guardians at number one. I have the Guardians at number two, actually. All right, I've got Rangers at two. Wins at three. Got Rays at three. Got the Braves at four. I have the Twins at four. Okay, and number five, I went a little bit hot here, but I have the Rockies. I have the Yankees at five. Okay, I like it. Let's go ahead and explain your Yankees pick. And I'll explain mine. I, I guess just, you know, kind of briefly, I, I had the Vol, uh, the Volpe notes about, you know, what I think he needs to work on. But just, you know, kind of quickly, the Yankees look absolutely amazing. Um, their offense, aside from the game that just happened as we're recording, 
has been absolutely top tier. And that's kind of what I expected, but Yankees have been able to pile on some fucking runs on teams. Judge looks to be in midseason form. Stanton, it, to me, every year he's been a Yankee. He's just gotten better. Um, very, you know, happy with him. Um, LeMahieu looks good as well. But thing with the Yankees, and this is kind of what I thought, you know, was the problem last season, is you know, the Yankees don't have a good outing from their starting pitcher. They're almost guaranteed to lose the game every single time. Because in that Giants game where Clark Schmidt, I think, was the player who started that game, didn't have a good outing. Michael King gave up runs. I think Clay Holmes gave up runs. And it's just the Yankees can never seem to damage control there. And I think that's probably the biggest thing holding the Yankees back. But other than that, this Yankees team looks like a you know a, a huge postseason team already. And, um, yeah, that's, that's why I have the Yankees at number one. Yeah, I think that the best thing I've seen from the Yankees is that they're producing runs and it's not solely coming through Aaron Judge. That's like the best thing that they could be doing right now is creating offense throughout the lineup. It's not just the top. It's not just like that power core that they have. It's everybody across this lineup, no matter who's in the lineup, is producing offense. And it's super, super helpful. My only reason I put them at five, I'm not really impressed when you lose to the Giants. And... Obviously, you know, Clark Schmidt probably shouldn't be starting your second game of the season, but got to see better out of him, especially in this front end of the Yankees rotation. It's huge. And like two shutouts in that series, fantastic. But in game two, you give up seven runs. It, it kind of offsets how well the pitching was in the other two games. Exactly. And what I've noticed with New York is it, it seems like when the starting pitcher has a bad game, it, it always seems like the offense can never catch up. It Like the offense completely loses its firepower. So definitely looking to work that out. But um, Clark Schmidt has to be the guy in for Severino, right? Because like you said, I didn't think he was going to be you know, even considered to be one of our starters this year. Yeah, he, he must be. Um, I got to be honest. I, Thought we were going to see Rodon. Um, I'm not sure. Is he injured? Uh, I think he actually is. I, I'm i going to be honest with you, Grayson. I totally forgot we even had him, but we have not seen him this season. Yeah, right now he's not showing up on the injured list. Obviously, Frankie, or, uh, Frankie Montas is, which is another guy who you're going to add to that starting lineup if he does play this season. I don't think it's likely, um, but I don't believe we've seen Rodon yet. We did see Nestor. And Nestor had a very good outing against the Phillies. Five innings pitched, seven. He did give up seven hits, but that's how Nestor's going to do. He's going to give up contact. He maxes out at like 94. But only giving up one uh, run is fantastic. Did you see his uh, defensive play from that game? Yes. Yeah, that was insane. And whoever that right fielder was overthrew Trevino by 20 yards. (laughs) Like absolutely just – Launched it over that guy, but Nestor, you know, with the great heads up play, it, it's really cool. And this is what I like about baseball. And then we can get into your team. Baseball, like, I feel like it's the one sport where you don't necessarily have to be a superstar to be valued as a superstar, if that makes sense. Like, for example, like Nestor is just one of those weird, awkward guys. He doesn't have crazy stuff. He is just an awkward baseball player. And it like, 
that that's like what his entire like game game is is just like how awkward he is you know what i mean is that is that like a fair statement to say yeah no it makes sense yeah i i don't know he's just like he's a character i just think that's cool about baseball is like your your awkward playing guys can also be superstars even though they don't have superstar talent if that makes sense yeah certainly all right, let's talk about the Guardians real quick. I've got them at one. I think what they've done is very impressive. They've bounced back off of an opening day loss to the Mariners, and when you can take three out of a four-game series against the Mariners, another playoff team, it's impressive in, in the fashion that they did it as well. Winning the game 9-4, uh, game two, winning game 3-2-0, having a shutout, late in a series is always impressive because oftentimes that's, you know, when, you know, you've got a good report, especially early in the season, you've got a good report on the team already. You've played them twice. You know what, you know, you kind of can see what's coming and to shut them out late in the series is big. Then you get the close win over the Mariners. You get the close win in extra innings over the athletics. Obviously the athletics are not good. And right now, the Guardians are actually down uh, 1-0 to them. But I'm liking what I'm seeing across the board from the offense. You brought it up. There's tons of names in this team that are just performing well. Steven Kwan just continues to be uh, an outstanding bat, especially he's like a leadoff specialist. The on-base percentage could certainly go up. He hasn't really walked yet, but... 280 on base percentage is certainly going to go up for Stephen Kwan. He is a guy that's just going to sit in the low 300s. But Jose Ramirez, AL MVP type player, I said it before the season started, he's a guy that by the end of the season, it's going to be like he could win or is he going to win? Like That's going to be the conversation with Jose Ramirez. Josh Naylor continues to perform, kind of riding off of what we've seen from him in the last couple of years, Mike Zanino, kind of a, a resurgence for him. He hasn't seen much success in the last couple of years, but it's great to see production from him. Miles Straw, a guy that really shouldn't be contributing as well as he is, a 450 on base percentage, fantastic. And I'm so happy with this Guardians lineup and with kind of the recovery of their pitchers because obviously a, a pretty brutal start uh, for the Guardians. Zach Plezak only pitched one inning, gave up seven hits and six runs. Damn. and uh, Or he only recorded one inning. He pitched into the second inning, gave up six runs, and then, and, and look, that's just, it's inexcusable from your starting pitcher. But they bring in a younger starting pitcher in, uh, I believe it's Zavian Curry. It's it's spelled X-Z-A-V-I-O-N. I believe that's Zavian Curry. He comes in, and he covers five innings for you in relief, technically. And that's what you need. You, You have depth. You're resilient. They still, you know, barely got it, but they inched out a win, and... Winning in this fashion is more impressive to me than winning in, you know, like a like the 2-0 shutout versus the Mariners. Winning like this is very telling of your team. 
Yeah. Um, you get to kind of show off the depth that way, especially in your bullpen, like how you just highlighted. But two other guys that I want to mention here, because the Guardians are my number two, so I guess I'll kind of just throw mine in with yours. Um, Aaron, is it Savale? Yeah. Absolutely dog dog outing. Seven innings pitch, no earned runs, only gave up two hits. I mean, what more could you ask for? Shane Bieber, you know, he does what Shane Bieber does. He's also good. Um, but, yeah, I mean, those two guys also pitched super, super well for the Guardians. This is looking like a dangerous team. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, I might have to retract my take from last week that the Cardinals would be the first team to close their division because I think it could be the Indians. Sorry, Guardians. Yeah. No, it definitely Guardians. could be the Guardians. Definitely could be the Guardians. Um, and, you know, to highlight other guys, it's like an, another guy you didn't mention is Emmanuel Classe. Yeah, he did um, lose the save against the A's. Still got the win, though. So he looks great. He looks good um, in his first outing against the Mariners. Um, and they also have guys like uh, James Karinchak, who strikes out Julio Rodriguez um, in that Mariners game that uh, Emmanuel Classe uh, got the save in. And he is, he just is the most cockiest motherfucker, but I like it. I like it when pitchers, you know, strut their stuff after striking a guy like Julio Rodriguez out. But yeah, this Guardians team, I, I'm really excited to see what the season holds for them. Yeah, uh, a fantastic lineup up and down. I'm going to talk about the Rangers real quick because they are surprising the shit out of me. I, I've got to be honest. It's a team that I thought that they might be okay. Did not think that they'd be, you know, right now they're losing 7-2 to two to the Orioles, but did not think that they would be 3-1. and one. Certainly didn't think they'd have swept the Phillies, and they're just, they're doing it. It's, I'm, I'm floored. You know, Andrew Haney had a horrible outing today, but just like this top of the rotation for the the Rangers obviously DeGrom didn't have a good outing. Texas still won, but on uh in that second game with uh Eovaldi, uh, he still gave up the three runs in the game, but prior to giving up those three runs, he looked very good. And I I love how much this offense is able to back up their pitchers. And that is like the most important part here because when Eovaldi got pulled after the fifth, he'd given up the three runs. Texas answered in the bottom of the fifth with three runs of their own. And then they just keep adding them on. Seventh inning, sixth, eighth inning, three more. Putting up 16 on the Phillies is extremely, extremely impressive. And I'm so impressed with how the Rangers have played up until you know right now since they're getting their shit rocked by the Orioles. Do do you think it's a case of you know Philly being bad or Texas being the real deal or is it both? I think it's a little bit of both. I think that Philly underestimated Texas because that lineup is is just solid, you know. Um, with you know Jonah Himes, a great catcher, Nate Lowe, Marcus Simeon, Josh Jung, very underrated player at third, Corey Seager, Robbie Grossman's had a solid start to the year. Adolis Garcia is. Fantastic. It kind of had a sophomore slump last season, but still a fantastic bat. And then Brad Miller, a guy who is never going to, you know, wow you all that often, but can certainly put up numbers. This lineup is deceiving because there's obviously a ton of money in that middle infield, but 
they've got the right pieces all over the field. I like it. I like it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the twins now. And Grayson, I have I'm just gonna start this one off with a question. What the fuck is going on with Joey Gallo? I so where was this I, in New York? Well or LA. <laughs> it's it's the big market. Look, he was he's now at this point, he's only ever been good for the Rangers and the Twins. That that is true. Of course, we don't have a lot of games with him in Minneapolis, but Seven RBIs, three homers uh, through four games, it, absolutely impressive. That That's what the Yankees, I think, were trying to get out of Joey Gallo. Of course, that didn't, you know. Yeah, would they get like all. 60 strikeouts? Yeah, yeah. More, <laughs> more strikeouts than hits, I think. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, also guys like uh, Larnock or Larnach or Larnock? Larnock. Arnock, who I, I highlighted um, before the season even started, whenever we were talking about our early um, division, you know, winners, like our predictions there. Absolute, like, dog, tearing it up. Byron Buxton still looks good. Kepler also looks good. Um, especially Larnock, who is coming off of that muscle surgery as well. I mean, just, he's flying. He's absolutely flying. The only thing that I, the only negative that I have with the Twins right now is Correa's kind of off to a slow start. But without the rest of his teams playing, once Correa get it gets it together, they're they're going to be absolutely you know ridiculous. Yeah, and you know, unfortunately, today they got absolutely dominated by Sandy Alcantara. Sandy threw a complete game, three hits, no runs, one walk, five Ks, hundred pitches wow. on the dot. That's uh, that's your be a Cy Young right there. Yeah, no shit, and he fucking showed it because the only guys that picked up a hit in this game were Correa, uh, Larnock, and then I believe that's Michael A. Taylor in center field. Yeah, Michael A. Taylor actually getting a hit is more surprising than anything. I I just I'm so pleasantly surprised by how this team has played. Obviously, picking up their first loss here, but before this, they looked unstoppable for you know be it four games they just knew how to put up numbers obviously they faced a fantastic pitcher it's hard to put up a ton of runs even any runs on Sandy Alcantara but what they did previous is you know nothing to scoff at yeah and they murdered Johnny Cueto in the yeah. in uh, Monday's game oh, like absolutely murdered Johnny Cueto who I know he's he's you know He's Johnny Cueto at that age. So, I mean, it's not like it's, you know, super impressive, but that's still a veteran. You know, you're not supposed to make veterans look like idiots, but the Twins did. Um, and, I mean, I know it's just the Royals, but, hey, they got a swip, uh, swip. They got a sweep over their division rival in the Kansas City Royals, and they beat Grinky. So, I mean, the, tw- the, twins, are, the twins are doing all right. I'm happy with them. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Rays real quick. They're the only undefeated team at the moment. Do I think they could hold this up? Definitely not. I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't trust a, a weak bottom of the lineup for them with, you know, given Jose Siri had a good game today. But still, after they pass like Rayleigh and Josh Lowe, it's a significant drop off. And I love the top of the lineup and they're producing essentially everything. Yandy Diaz has looked very good. Uh, Brendan Lau, you know, could be better. Rosarena looks great. Wander looks great. Had a bad one today. But 
I couldn't be happier with the Rays pitching. It it's, was a question mark coming into this season, but Shane McClanahan, of course, fantastic. We're going to see Glass now. Uh, Drew Rasmussen had a fantastic start. And Zach Eflin certainly didn't have a bad day. And it's just, it's it's honestly a very surprising team. I could have put them at number one, but I just don't trust it at the moment. Yeah, um, and, and they're five straight wins. They've only given up four runs. Yeah, that's the craziest part here is it, it's it's wild. Absolutely wild. And you still have Glasnow that hadn't even, you know, pitched yet. I, I hope he can come back and play well. But, you know, kind of with how the Rays are playing, Grayson, I have another question for you because I know you love these. Is the AL East already the best division in the MLB this year? Um, I, I feel like you got a decent Red Sox team. You have the Orioles that are also decent. And then you have the Yankees, Blue Jays, whenever they decide to wake up. And then, of course, you know, the undefeated Rays. So what do you think? I would argue the AL West. Okay, why? Obviously, you know, barring the absolute shithole that's Oakland, (laughs) the Rangers look great. The Astros look great. The Angels, surprisingly, have looked pretty good. And the Mariners, of course, look great. Like, that's four teams that you genuinely have to circle on your schedule. So you you're saying that the Rangers aren't a fluke this year at all. I don't I don't think they're a fluke. I, I certainly don't think they're gonna contend in this division. But how it looks right now, there's certainly a team that you have to watch out for. Okay. I, I like it. Um I'm gonna get into my number four, and that's the Atlanta Braves. Um I don't have much to say because I, I kinda wanted to leave my Braves notes a little bit light for you to take this one over, because I know how much you love this. But my take on the Braves is that Matt Olson looks like Matt Olson now. You know, last season he was definitely pretty good. This season he looks absolutely amazing. Acuna is Acuna. We mentioned it earlier. Strider is starting to maybe prove his consistency. I know it's only one game, but hey, I mean, it's a good start for him. And the outing that Schuster had against the Nationals was bad, but the Braves have so much depth that I think it's zero concern to them. Yeah, obviously we optioned Schuster down uh, mainly just as a roster space thing while we deal with the injuries of Max Freed and Kyle Wright. But I'm certainly not mad at how Morton pitched in game one against the Cardinals. Um, Dylan Dodd had an outstanding debut today. He went five innings. He gave up six hits, only one run, three strikeouts, but he was he didn't walk a single batter. And... That's such like the opposite of what we saw from Schuster, but what Schuster did was still good to see. Obviously, the start was bad. He let, I think, the first six guys get on, and then he retires the next five and doesn't give up a run after that very bad first. But I am very happy with the bullpen right now. We're still missing Rizel Iglesias, and Jesse Chavez looks good. Uh, Jimenez, the pickup from the offseason from the uh, from the Tigers looks good. Dylan Lee coming in playing that lefty specialist role is fantastic. Kirby Yates surprisingly looking okay. He you know Old had a, a, a tough one the other day, but AJ Minter looks very comfortable in the closing role too. He hasn't given up a run yet, 
And that is something that we haven't gotten out of a closer in the last couple of years. Obviously not the permanent closer, but with years of Will Smith and last year with Kenley Jansen, they were really putting them on the ropes. And to see AJ Minter come out, start these last, or you know, come in and close the last couple of games, he looks so damn impressive. I'm glad that you talked about Minter because uh, he's been absolutely ridiculous so far. Um, that that was really all I had for the Braves. They look amazing. Yeah, I, I guess I do need a reason why they're not on my list, um, mainly because they really showed in that game against Schuster where they could fall short, and that is getting runs after giving up early ones. Like it's a big thing. Like I talked with the guardians is resiliency and being able to support your pitcher after a tough inning. They just could not do it. Like, um, obviously Acuna scored the run, uh, after getting walked and Darno hitting him in, but it, it was just, I don't know. It's something I don't want to see much more this season is, the pitcher going out there and giving it his all, really. It's his debut. He kind of controlled the damage because it could have got much worse in that first. The fact that he was able to hold on and pitch 4.2 innings is fantastic, and you've got to help him out. I was just about to say is the outing may look bad, but, I mean, you hit it on the um, you hit it on the head. Young guys like that, you know, they shouldn't be able to necessarily work their way back into games like Schuster did, and he did. So I don't think it's, you know, it's only one game. I don't think it's time to, you know, necessarily write him off. I, I would like to see him have more outings, and, and maybe an outing in Atlanta too. That might help him out. Yeah, <laughs> I think that with how it's looking right now, we have Bryce Elder pitching tomorrow. We'll come back. Somebody's got to fill – um I believe Strider will probably pitch, I think. Um, not tomorrow, but in that first game in Atlanta. So maybe we see Schuster the day after Strider. They'd still have to bring him back up, which I don't know if that's going to be the case. You know, We'll see. We could go bullpen game just to fill that missed start from Max Freed while we still wait on Kyle Wright to come back. But I think no matter what the Braves do there, we could still see success. Um, I'm confident in this lineup as long as, you know, they don't get caught lacking. It's, you know, for lack of better term, they need to be ready at all times. And it just seems like, that Schuster start was rather telling of this lineup that they can be kind of inconsistent and they, you know, can get really bad about just getting on base. That was the one thing that we were missing on. And that whole game was just getting on base. And of course, Mackenzie Gore pitched great, but there was certainly at bats and there were certainly counts that we could have worked and at least gotten base runners. Yeah, I think, um, both of our teams are kind of in the same boat where if it's not a good outing from the starting pitcher, it seems like our, you know, the high powered offenses that both of our teams have, you know, some, for some reason struggle to come back in games like that. Yeah. I I think, you know, a lot of teams do, it it makes sense, but you're definitely right there. All right, Luke, let's talk about our bottom five. Uh, I didn't get to say my number five and you didn't also. Oh shit. Well, my number five was the Yankees and we kind of already talked about them. 
Oh, okay, cool. My number five was the Rockies, of course. Being a little bold here, I already said that, but split a four-game series away against the Super Padres team that happens to be their rival. Um, and game one, while we were recording our last Thursday episode, Grayson and I even mentioned, you know, everybody on the Rockies got a hit. Um, have a pretty a pretty rough start to their season as far as like scheduling goes because they had the Padres away and now they're facing the Dodgers away. But the Rockies, I don't know how good they're going to finish this year. I, you know, I don't know how that pitching is going to hold up, but they have a nice little trident um, trio of uh, batters in Charlie Blackman, Chris Bryant, and CJ Crone. They all look absolutely fantastic. And I think if the cards fall right for them, they could be around a 500 team. I think they'll surprise some people this year. Yeah, I, I still possibly see them coming in last in this division, but not being a team that like we just count out immediately. And another you know thing that I wanted to highlight is Chris Bryant seems to have really just settled into this Rockies lineup pretty nicely, at least thus far. Yeah, yeah, he looks good. All right. Bottom five. Bottom Let's five. Do this bottom five. So – the way I put mine was number one is the worst. Then I went better. Is that how you did it? I just went by five teams. Okay. So yep. I'm going to go ahead and just say my worst, the Philadelphia Phillies. Yep. I feel like that's the easy answer here. <laughs> win win some games. Exactly. Um, my number one was also the Philadelphia Phillies. Like, it's just... It's it's crazy, but let's keep going through this list. My number two is the Detroit Tigers. My number two is the Padres. Mm. Number three is the Marlins. My number three is the Blue Jays. I got number four, the Royals. Number four is Seattle, the Mariners. <laughs> and then number five, the Athletics. I have the Diamondbacks as my number five. Wow, very different lists here. Okay. Well, let's talk about the one we agree on here, the Phillies, because it seems like we can't say it enough. They fucking <laughs> suck. I feel like the Phillies are about to be like our Broncos, because you and I loved to shit on the Broncos, and I, we're about to love shitting on the Phillies. <laughs> I'll shit on any NL East team that's not the Braves. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, th- what is there to say? You're Taiwan Walker, four and a, uh, uh, 4.1 innings, Four runs given up, 8.31 ERA, horrible. Zach Wheeler, not much better than Nola or Walker, but he did have seven strikeouts. So, I mean, I guess there's a, you know, a takeaway there. Aaron Nola, though, um, didn't even finish uh, third inning. Pulled before um, the fourth. Five runs given up, 12.27 ERA. It's just garbage from them to start. Yeah, interestingly enough, one of the best starts – out of any of their pitchers was from Bailey Falter and they, they still lost, but he actually kind of looked good. I've never even heard of this guy before I saw him pitch in that. Um, I believe it was game three against the Rangers, but he only gave up one run or sorry. He, he gave up the two runs that they gave up, but 5.1 innings of work on 72 pitches. Like that's not bad. It's just a young pitcher giving up runs late in his appearance. Like, that's just going to happen. Yeah. Um, and then offensively, um, Kyle Schwarber looks like hot garbage right now. Um, 
batting below Mendoza line, OPS at um, .118, OBP at a .059. Awful start from one of their big stars. Yeah, he is struggling, to say the least. And actually following this game, he did, you know, the game tonight, two hits, five at-bats. If your average and your on-base percentage are the same number, you got some work to do there, Schwarby. And <laughs> that's where he's sitting right now, 136, 136. There is certainly some things to fix here. Of course, look, hit a bomb tonight, two RBIs, two hits, good stuff. But him and Trey Turner, like Trey Turner's doing his thing. Alec Bohm, surprisingly, is doing his thing, though he went over 3 tonight. But you're tonight, you're 3 4 5 went 0 and 3, 0 and 4, 0 and 4 and combined for four strikeouts. First of all, Castellanos has to get his shit together if this team wants any success because he's a guy that they need in the lineup, especially while they're missing Bryce Harper. He just seems like he can't do shit right now. Yeah, um just I don't know. It, it seems like Trey Turner has really, you know, been kind of their only offense um aside from Alec Boehm, how you kind of mentioned there, but uh, th- this team needs Bryce Harper back, man. <laughs> yeah, bad. All right, All right let's um, let's start running through this list now cuz we were very different here. My number 2, the Tigers. I just there's not a single spot on that lineup or in that rotation where I'm like, yeah, that guy's good. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's just like Spencer Torkelson is off to a pretty rough start from being the number one overall prospect just two years ago. It, it just seems like, and yes, they, they got a win over the Astros today, 6-3, and, and Torkelson had a great game. Javi Baez is one of the worst hitters right now. He's batting 100, a 143 on base. His slugging percentage is 100. Like, that is seriously bad. He's got, I believe, that means he's only hit singles, which is crazy. And so far this season, yeah, he has two hits. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are they paying you to do here? Because you're batting second. Your glove has been inconsistent for your entire career. Uh, what the fuck? Like, what contribution are you making to this team? Because right now you're making the young guys do everything. Riley Green went three for four. Torkelson went three for four. I need more veteran contribution. Yeah. Um, dang, if, if you were Jose Bautista, actually, never mind, never mind. Rudin, Rudin Odor was the one who punched Jose Bautista, right? Yes. Okay, if you were if you were Amir Garrett, Javi Baez would probably punch you in the face for saying all that, man. That's I don't pretty, care. That's pretty mean, but it's it's exactly right. Uh, he's been horrible. Um, <laughs> kind of wanted to highlight this. I thought Miguel Cabrera retired. No. He's still, he's still out there. Yep. I, I like to see him. I believe I this will be him. the final season. Yeah, it, I mean, it probably needs to be, <laughs> but still cool that he's playing. That's, yeah. That's awesome. I think he just had uh, to wait another year because he couldn't get outshined by Yachty and Pujols. Exactly. Um, I'm going to go ahead and move on to my number two. It's the Padres. 
mainly because they have all this fucking talent and they find themselves at what is it four and two now because they won tonight uh yes i believe so or no no they lost it's, today um they're three and three yeah three and three so Cronenworth, Soto, and Machado off to a really slow start. And I'm pretty sure, I don't know if it's still this way. Actually, let me go check because, yeah, Xander Bogarts is your team leader in batting average, home runs, RBI, OBP, and hits. With, with you know, an, a team that has, like, like I just said, Cronenworth, Soto, Grisham, Machado, um, even guys like Matt Carpenter. And Nelson Cruz, who, you know, are kind of smaller roles, but still, Xander is the entire team right now. Um, and, you know, we saw it against the Rockies. I think it was Blake Snell that pitched the first game. 4.1 innings. He, he struck out nine guys, but he only went 4.1 innings. Um, Nick Martinez also kind of had a meh outing. It, it really seems like on this team, the only two guys that I can highlight as far as, you know, being kind of like in midseason form, I guess, Josh Hader and Xander Bogarts. Other than that, you would expect the amount of superstars they have to kind of be stepping it up at this point. Yeah. Look, out of the guys that got in at bat today in this game that they lost, one player is over 300, and that's Xander Bogarts at 409 batting average. Like the closest being Huss Young Kim at 294. He's batting last, and he went over four today. Like, I've Gotta see more. Jake Cronenworth finally got some hits today. He went three for four. That only took his batting average up to 190. Like, wow. it's crazy. Obviously, Nelson Cruz came in. He subbed out Machado at DH, came in, hit a bomb. But, uh, like, Machado batting 250. Uh, I believe he got hurt in this game. That's why he got taken out. But, um, Juan Soto. Obviously, the on-base percentage is there for Juan Soto. It's always going to be 320, batting average of 190. Like, I have to see more out of this huge core that they have. And especially once Tatis comes back from the end of his suspension, there's got to be something that changes with this lineup. Because, and it's not even that they're striking out a ton. They only struck out six times today. But... They only got 10 hits. It's like, where is the offense going to come from down the stretch from this team? Exactly. And it's not like the weapons aren't there. It's just they're they're sleeping <laughs> right now. They're just sleeping giants. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm telling you, man, this is a team that will not be better than the Dodgers this year. I don't care what anybody says. And the Diamondbacks are going to be really close to the Padres. I don't know if I can say that the Diamondbacks will finish second or third in this division, but they're going to be close to the Padres, closer than what people think. Yeah. I think so. To your number three. All right. My number three was the Marlins. And by God, are they lucky that they have Sandy Alcantara. Of course, tough start uh, in the first game, but today, complete game, shutout. It's just Sandy. Game two, they win it, and Jesus Lazardo had a pretty good outing. Still walked four batters, which should not happen in 5.2 innings, but it's like there's nothing here. There's nothing here that generates runs. They, they put up five on the Mets on opening day. 
And since then, they've put up one, two, one, one, zero. Or sorry, one. It's not not looking good right now for the Marlins. This this lineup has no juice. It's just it's just Jazz Chisholm. It's really it. Jorge Soler's done a little bit. Avisel Garcia's done a little bit. But like Luis Arias, of course, has a 478 average and a 520 on base. Soler's batting 217. That's expected. Jazz is batting 150. Avisel Garcia is batting 188. Jan Segura is batting 111. And Jacob Stallings, a catcher who should be getting on base a lot more, he's gotten on base of 231. It's like there is nothing here. It's similar to what I was talking about with the Tigers. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, you know, the Marlins were not, you know, it, personally, I feel like expected to, you know, blow everybody away this year. But this is an exciting young team that, you know, you would have at least, at least kind of thought they'd play better and, and show up and have some energy. But it just kind of lacks right now. And something that I just noticed is Jazz Chisholm, the center fielder. Yes, he moved to center field this season. Um, wow. To make some space in the that. infield. I did not know that. Interesting. Dang. Okay. Well, needs to bat better. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'm going to get into my three. Let's, we're on three. Yes. Okay. I have the Blue Jays at my number three. It's, you know, they've been okay. But it's just kind of one of those teams where it, it seems like, Grayson, you went with who you thought was literally the worst. I went with teams that I thought should be better. And to me, I guess, like, teams that should be better are in a worse position than the teams that are bad, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because, they, you know, they have the roster to not be the record that they are, but they're the record that they are. But anyway, Blue Jays, 2-3. and three, They finally got a win tonight. Um, I think they broke a three-game losing streak, which is nice. But – you know, we already kind of talked about him uh, previously whenever we opened up the uh, podcast. Jose Barrios and Alex Manoa, two really good pitchers that you just need to have better outings from. Uh, same with Chris Bassett. And I'm pretty much just echoing what we've already said, but Matt Chapman is literally their only bright spot. Of course, you have bats like Vladimir Guerrero, who also look good, but Matt Chapman by far has been their best hitter. Oh, yeah, uh, by a country mile. 579 he's more than 200 or sorry if 579 he is 160 160 better than Kevin Kiermeyer their second best batting average yeah um and another thing that i actually just noticed blue jays have only hit one home run this year and it's off of the bat of bobachet Vladimir guerrero has not hit a home run this year yeah, that AL MVP so, look is it's not looking good. Not not looking good, but you know, of course, he is the type of player that can obviously bounce back. But yeah, um, the Blue Jays only have one home run this year off of a. Actually, no, they have they have two, um, because uh, Varsho has also hit yeah, one as well. Love Dalton Varsho. Um, yeah, and George Springer doesn't really look that great either. It, it's just it's a very very poor start. Brandon Belt also kind of meh. I mean, he's not, you know, expected to be ridiculous or anything, but definitely better than what he's at right now. Um, so, yeah, the Blue Jays were my number three. I don't think they've been that great at all this year, especially a team that 
has been competing for sec or competing for first rather with the Yankees for what feels like, you know, maybe three, two or three years, maybe even four. You know, they're off to a poor start here. And the rest of the division is, you know, some of those teams are kind of already flying, like the Yankees and the Rays. So the Blue Jays already kind of have some catching up to do. Yeah, certainly. But that win over the team I'm about to mention, the Royals, it's a pretty good win there. Um, you get some offensive production. Bichette gets a hit. Vlad gets a hit. Chapman gets three. Varsho gets two. Whit Merrifield gets in with one. Uh, Espinal gets a hit. Kiermaier gets two. Like That's the offensive production that we need to see from the Blue Jays. Obviously, we'd like to see more runs on the board than just four, but it's just because they're not really walking. Uh, only two walks in this game, but the Royals are even worse. They sit at one and four now. Um, Bobby Witt off to a horrible start, a 118 batting average, only a 250 on base percentage. Salvi is doing okay, but the, you know, the age is showing for Salvador Perez. For some reason, they didn't start Vinny Pasquantino. Uh, they started Hunter Dozier at first. That's just a questionable decision. And it's just very clear to me from watching this team in the very small sample size that I've even been willing to watch that there is nothing to be excited for with Royals baseball this year. No more two-hit wit. There is nothing going on in Kansas City other than probably 100 losses. (laughs) Yeah, um, just... No offensive production. Also, another team that doesn't really, you know, they're not really hitting home runs uh, all across the board. Their OPS is just kind of shit. Um, same with OB, OBP as well. Slugging, I mean, it's just zero offense, and their pitching also hasn't been much better as well. You know, you have Rinky, uh, or no, hang on, let me. Actually, I'm going to take that back. Their pitching has actually been okay. Um, they don't have an ERA over four across their starting uh, pitchers, which is nice, but they're also not really getting wins either. Yeah, look, they get swept in the opening series against the Twins. They get a, a surprising win over the Blue Jays on Monday, and then they come back out. They can't do shit again. It, it's we're we're getting used to this Kansas City. Yeah, um, but, you know, they're pitching. They they have some weapons here. Of course, th- this isn't going to, you know, make them not lose 100 games, which is kind of what it feels like might happen. But they have Ryan Yarbrough, who I, I think he's an average pitcher. He was okay with the Rays. They also have Amir Garrett, um, Aroldis Chapman, who can somehow throw 103 you know, miles an hour again. <laughs> not sure where that was his past two years with New York, but whatever. Um, and veterans like Grinky, but – Ah uh, man, this is this is a team that will that is definitely going to struggle. Yeah, I, I think the only bright spot here is if Brady Singer can have a good year because they've kind of been waiting on this one. Uh, Singer's been up for a couple of years now, and look, <laughs> it, it's not looking great right now. But um, he gets the win on Monday, their sole win, one eighty ERA, only three strikeouts, but. It's not really Brady Singer's game. There's not very many things to look for with this Royals team. Maybe the youth with you know Vinny Pasquantino and um, you know, Drew Waters is in their system. He you know, might go up and down. Melendez is fantastic. Um, 
he definitely is going to start it, start picking up a little bit. I, I really believe in his bat, but yeah, not not much that I'm. There's nothing that's going to make me tune into a Royals game except if the you know when the Braves play them. <laughs> I like it. Um, at number four, I went with the Mariners, and it's it's pretty much simple. I mean, this was a team that. Really, really, you know, excited for them to come in and play in 2023, uh, especially with, you know, how they made the playoffs last year with it being their first time in probably like, what, 20-something years like that. They also had a pretty decent offseason bringing in guys like Colton Wong, Alsco Hernandez, but those are going to be the two guys that I talk about of, you know, of how <laughs> Colton Wong is batting a .077 batting average right now. Horrible. Uh, 250 OPB, 327 OPS, not very good there. Teosco Hernandez, he's batting uh, 0.59, 158 OBP, um, and a 276 OPS. In 17 at-bats, Teosco Hernandez has one hit and seven strikeouts. I'm just going to let that one sink. Yeah, that's brutal. One hit and seven strikeouts. So... <laughs> Some of the exciting guys that the Mariners have added, not really playing out uh, that well. Also, guys like George Kirby got absolutely murdered by the Angels. Same thing with Robbie Ray versus the Guardians. And so kind of just echoing what I've already said, the Mariners were supposed to be a really exciting team. They made some additions. Their additions aren't, you know, working out that well. And, you know, some of their pitchers are getting beat up as well. So the Mariners made my number four. All right. My number five is the Athletics. And remember how just a couple of minutes ago we were talking about the Guardians. I said they were down 2-0. to zero. Well, they're up 3-2 now on the Athletics. Uh, very much an Athletics thing to do. I try and compliment them. And they just can't do anything. <laughs> this team is just... Yeah, oh, man. It's bad. Dude, there's no pitching. There's very limited uh, hitting. It, it's... Oof. I, I don't even want to talk about them. Like... A great game fighting against the Guardians last night, but shit, does, does it not look good, man? They get, um, they get the win on opening day against the Angels somehow. I, I, I really couldn't tell you how because Shohei Otani absolutely shut them down, but Aaron Loop came in and just absolutely blew that game for the Angels, and. Uh, definitely not a deserving win for the Athletics, but you know you can't really do much about it. And then they just haven't figured out how to win since they got shut down thirteen uh, one in the second game. They get shut out six zero in the third. They lose that tough one to the Guardians, and now they've given up a two run lead tonight. It, it's just it, it's hard to watch another team that they'd be lucky if they can win sixty games. Yeah, I mean, when your when your best player right now is Ramon Laureano, there's issues. <laughs> yeah, definitely there's issues. Um, for my number five, I have the Diamondbacks, and kind of the same thing with the Mariners. The Diamondbacks are a very young team with you know guys like Paul Goldschmidt there, that, you know can kind of help out the young guys. And I, I really thought that they would start better. Of course, they have you know kind of like what a with um, what I talked about with the Rockies is they have just a super hard schedule uh, the Diamondbacks. Their first series was a four gamer away against the Dodgers. Then they have a short two game series um, versus the Padres, which is also away. 
and then they also then they go back to um or then they play the Dodgers again, sorry, this time at home in another four-game series. So super rough there, you know, having to see two of your best division rivals kind of just back-to-back-to-back like that. And, you know, the Diamondbacks just kind of haven't really played well. Kettle Marte and Luis Gurriel not playing very well at all. Madison Bumgarner had a horrible um, uh, start to the season. Uh, Same goes for Zach Gallen as well. I did want to highlight two players on the – on the Diamondbacks, though, that are really impressing me. And that's Corbin Carroll and Evan Longoria, who I didn't even know played for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Evan Longoria looks awesome right now. He just does this. He just decides to be good at baseball again every so often. And everybody's like, holy shit, he's still playing? And then it goes right back to where it was. Exactly. But, um, you know, I I don't think that you should – or we should write off the Diamondbacks yet. This will be a team that I think can fight, and I hope they fight. Um, But definitely, you know, they they made my list because of just how – they just started rough. I would have liked to see them show up a little bit harder against their division rivals, but they're kind of struggling right now. Yeah. All right. Well, before we move on to NFL news, let's talk about um, just real quick the games that are still going on right now. So we've got the Dodgers up on the Rockies 4-0 – uh, in the bottom of the fourth, the Guardians up 3-2 on the Athletics in the top of the sixth, and the Mariners up 8-0 on the Angels in the bottom of the fifth. This game I'm watching right now. Ooh, crazy. All right, Luke, you ready for some NFL news? Yes, let's do it. All right, reports came out. The Ravens offered Odell a contract. Big deal. Finally. Finally. It's like, I don't know, I feel like Odell has been the third most weighted on player this offseason behind Lamar and Aaron Rodgers. Oh, yeah. I I definitely agree with that statement. Do we, we don't really know any details of the offer, but, you know, we can assume it's in tens. We don't know how many years or anything, but the fact that the Ravens, what in an offer for a wide receiver is just a step in the right direction. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, I, I've kind of said it on this podcast numerous times. Wide receiver is something that the Ravens have lacked for ever. And Odell finally addresses that situation. Just got to figure out Lamar now. Yeah, that's the problem. Uh, you know, we've been waiting on Odell, but Lamar is still just sitting there Hanging waiting there. <laughs> and we'll talk about him more later. Let's talk real quick. The Eagles, they have somehow lined themselves up perfectly. Um, you know, with the Jalen Hurts extension coming, uh, with Mylotta, Sweat, Godair, uh, Hassan Reddick all getting extensions or restructurings, the Eagles could have around $70 million in cap space in 2024 with 12-plus draft picks. That is scary for a team that, I mean, they're not in rebuild mode, but they have the rebuild. They have the rebuild tools, which is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's so many things they could do with this cap space. Like, you know, and it seems like there's not many roles to fill. Exactly. Yeah. Um, kind of like what I said. They they are a team that does not really need to rebuild. I mean, there might be some positions here and there, but definitely, you know. $70 million in cap space with 12 draft picks is is overkill for a team like that. Yeah, it's crazy. 
Uh, Dalvin Cook was recently in Minnesota for a post-surgery checkup on his shoulder, said to be making excellent progress. Um, uh, apparently, he's been playing the past three seasons with the injured shoulder, um, but it is now 100% stable, and he's getting stronger. I wonder if um, that has anything to do with, like, because you and I have bitched about the Vikings not using him for yeah. I mean, the entirety of last season, so I kind of wonder if maybe that was why. Yeah, that's kind of why I wanted to talk about this is the fact that it, why has he been playing with just for three seasons? Like we've heard about guys, you know, they, they get banged up in the season, they get the surgery after. Why has he just been sitting on this one? Yeah, I, I have never heard of a athlete like like an athlete the caliber of Dalvin Cook playing injured for three years. I, I've never heard of anything like that before. Yeah, like it, it's a shoulder injury. He has time to come back from it you know, between the end of the season and the start of the next. But I, I guess they figured at this point it's time, and it certainly is. So maybe we see Dalvin Cook's, you know, usage go up next year. The numbers might go back up to where he was because he was, you know, I feel like it wasn't even arguable. He was a top five running back for, you know, a good year or two. And then it just seemed like it's been declining. And this certainly was a factor. Yeah, um, definitely after this news, I will be, you know, kind of watching the Vikings to see if we get more carries and more targets in the passing game for Dalvin Cook. I definitely hope so. He's one of the most entertaining players in the league, and I'm just glad he's healthy now. Sure. Yeah. Let's talk about another entertaining player. The Patriots said that they would only take on DeAndre Hopkins' contract from Arizona if they were able to do so sending zero draft pick compensation. Um that's per Albert Breer, and there is a chance that DeAndre Hopkins just gets released by the Cardinals. Interesting. If he gets released, I mean, that's going to be like a bunch of piranhas wanting to get DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, it doesn't matter you know, what point in his career he's at. He's a hot commodity. Sure. Uh, he deserves his money, and... And like I've kind of said on the podcast before, he's never had a quarterback in his entire career. I mean, he had Deshaun Watson for maybe two, one or two good years. Kyler Murray overrated. Um, yeah, Deion, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting DeAndre to go somewhere where he has a quarterback. Yeah, uh, obviously he looked fantastic when he had Deshaun Watson as his quarterback, and he's looked well. Uh, he's looked pretty damn good with other quarterbacks that certainly aren't as good as Deshaun Watson throwing the ball to him. So, you know, I'm not saying that Mac Jones is, you know, a fantastic quarterback, but he's certainly a quarterback that'll put it put it there. Yeah, I, I agree. But this is just so typical sounding from the Patriots. Like I they're, they're playing this so conservative when you can't there's no conservative um, you know, kind of uh guess way to go about getting deandre hopkins if that makes sense you're gonna have to give up for him and i don't know just very it, it sounds like the patriots here yeah definitely this was some interesting stuff i heard so dolphins wide receiver tyreek hill uh, was talking to a browns fan at an autograph session uh he said they should have paid me bro i tried to go to cleveland i tried that but they didn't want me wow i actually watched that clip how crazy is that? Uh, like, I, obviously the Browns put a shitload of money into Deshaun Watson, but when you got the opportunity to get Tyreek Hill, you're going to spend the money. 
yeah, Tyreek Hill and Amari Cooper together, man. Ah, uh, <laughs> they they should have tried harder. Um, I think I was uh, I was watching a video on Tyreek Hill and he was talking about you know his decision to go to the Dolphins and I think for him it was all about staying with the Chiefs. But he said that when the Dolphins offered, I, I forget what his contract is with Miami, but like it was it was just something that he could not turn down. Um, and I don't really think that the Browns would have been in a position to, you know, pay him that much money. Yeah, that, that certainly could have been the case. But, you know, it's definitely interesting to think, like, what could have happened with the Browns? Like, obviously, they didn't have Deshaun all year, but Jacoby Brissett looked fine. They definitely picked up wins and a, a receiving core built up with Tyreek Hill, Amari Cooper and David Njoku. Like, uh, it doesn't get too much better than that. Uh, and Peoples Jones is a good option in there too. Um, yeah. th- they would have been a you know super good team, but they they passed them up. All right, let's talk about this U.S. Bank Stadium news. So uh, they're saying that they're going to need two hundred and eighty million dollars in maintenance and upgrades in the next decade to U.S. Bank Stadium in Minnesota. That that stadium is like brand new. I was about to say it's like 2016, 20, uh, maybe, yeah, twenty sixteen. I think. And it's a it's a beautiful stadium. Um, interesting design, it, I'll say. I've seen it in person. I've seen it in person. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it's, is, it's cool. Awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. It's got like it, it's a it's such a weird design. Uh, you know, kind of what you said. It's like a it's like one side is like all glass. It's super super cool. But I'm you know two hundred eighty million dollars in the next decade. That's kind of I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> Yeah, like that's that's a that's like a quarter of what they paid to build the stadium. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's you know with like newer technology, you know they don't make them how they used to. Kind of saying there, maybe you know these newer stadiums will need maintenance kind of more often. But like, it's a lot of damn money for maintenance and upgrades. Yeah, and with it being such a new facility, it's even more surprising. Like, it's interestingly set up interestingly built but i feel like it you know from an outsider it doesn't seem like there's much that you could add to it yeah i mean maybe they want to build stuff around it maybe and that would be a good idea because i i think right now it just kind of sits in the middle of a field yeah something like that yeah i just thought that was interesting but let's talk about this because this is one of my favorite things I saw. Obviously, everybody tries to be funny on April Fool's Day. In my opinion, the Chargers won here. So, uh, let me give context on the original tweet. So, back February 19th of 2007, also my birthday, um, the Chargers official account tweeted, So hungry, need to find my wife and head to P.F. Chang's. Never got deleted, nothing. The, the theory is that uh, because back in the day, you could send a text to like a certain number and it would post it to your Twitter. And people think that whoever ran the social media account accidentally, you know, sent it to the wrong thing, this text, and posted it on the Twitter, didn't realize. And then they've just kept it up because the response to it was so funny. And like this tweet is just like, it's like part of sports or like NFL Twitter history. 
And then <laughs> April Fool's Day this year, the Chargers quote tweeted it, and it just says, update, my wife left me. <laughs> w for April Fool's Day. Yeah, like, they couldn't have done anything better. No, that is, that is so funny. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just, it's so much funnier that, like, it's the official Chargers Twitter. They never took down the original tweet. It's been up since 2007. And now, like, to this day, they're making jokes about it. Yeah, the um, the Steelers signed Snoop Dogg on April Fool's Day. Yes, I saw that. That was interesting. Yeah, and then every Steelers fan page was, like, trying to say that Cameron Hayward retired. That one was brutal for me. That one was really brutal because I will say I forgot what day it was reading those. Um, I thought it, I thought Cameron Hayward retired. Yeah, it's like every April Fool's Day I wake up and I see like a tweet on my phone. And I'm like, no way. And then I'm like, fuck, it's April 1st. <laughs> every year it gets me, man. Yeah. All right, well, let's keep it with the Chargers here. Chargers GM Tom Telesco said he's not losing sleep over Justin Herbert's looming payday. He said that's a good problem to have. I disagree. I don't think this is a good problem to have. I don't think it is either, Grayson. <laughs> I, I'm not too sure where I'm not too sure where this is coming from. Yeah, look, if I'm the GM of the Chargers, I'm not sleeping until I extend Justin Herbert. It's twenty four seven talking to his agent. There's yeah. no sleep involved. <laughs> uh, like, and if he's not, if the agent goes to bed, then I'm, you know, I'm gonna be on a conference call with a bunch of people at three a.m. Like. Okay, you know what's the number? What's the incentives? How about we figure this part out right now? Like, you shouldn't stop going until you've got Justin Herbert signed. Exactly. Um, this would be a funny tweet to come back to when Herbert's on a different team with yeah. a long-term contract for billions of dollars. I I can't wait for his yeah. like <laughs> his like ten-year, five hundred million dollar deal with some other team. Yeah. Oh, Lord, this won't age well. But, I mean, you and I talked about it the last time we recorded. Is, is Justin Herbert out? You know? It seems like it could be a real idea, especially since the GM is, you know, doesn't seem to care. He actually thinks it's a good problem to have. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like this entire Chargers franchise is in a very bad spot right now. Because, realistically, what could happen over the course of this next season where Herbert could walk in free agency afterwards is Brandon Staley is certainly on the hot seat. Austin Eckler might not be there. You have so much money tied up in your defense, and they're not really performing at the level they should be. This team could blow up in the next year if they don't re-sign Herbert. Yeah, and it's, you know, with with what we've talked about on the podcast before, with, you know, how good the team was with Phillip Rivers and, you know, Melvin Gordon – it, the Chargers' time is now. They have been, they have had way too good of a roster with nothing to show for it for way too long. And, you know, kind of with what we're talking about now, it looks like they're on the verge of losing it all. Yeah, certainly. Okay, I'm about to read the weirdest sentence I'll ever say on this podcast, okay? <laughs> Let's hear it. All right. Per Adam Schefter, DeMar Hamlin told President Biden that he thinks he'll be able to play again. When I first read this, I was like, uh, hold on. <laughs> I didn't know that DeMar Hamlin like visited the White House and talked to President Biden. I didn't know that happened. But I, I just I see an Adam Schefter tweet. 
and I was just I had to just sit there for a second and just be like, what the fuck happened here that I missed? You think maybe Sean McDermott wants to know that you know if Demar Hamlin's gonna play again or not? Yeah, maybe Demar Hamlin would have talked like I would have it would have made more sense if it's like Demar Hamlin puts out statement saying that he'll play again. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm glad that the president knows that. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna remember. <laughs> okay, we're moving on. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> moving I don't on. know. We, we've already gotten political, you know, with what you said about Taiwan a bunch of episodes sure. ago. That was probably one of my favorite sure. things. You've ever but seen. I'm not getting into American <laughs> politics. Yeah, never. All right, Shad Khan. Once again, a weird statement, especially coming from Shad Khan, because. As an NFL owner, I wouldn't expect these words to come out of his mouth. He said, the vibe I get is that we've cracked the code. And it's very <laughs> weird for a 72-year-old man with a handlebar mustache to be saying this because that is like a sentence that I would hear from like a 14-year-old girl <laughs> it, it, like talking about like, I don't know, like stealing alcohol from her parents. <laughs> yeah, this guy, uh, he, he's a character. I think he owns a soccer team as well. It's kind of interesting. He's just he he certainly is a character. That that is true. Um, but like he might as well have been like said like like it's giving whatever like <laughs> the vibe I get. <laughs> it's so weird, bro. What a strange guy. <laughs> All right, let's talk about this real quick. So while discussions are at an early stage, an NFL owner told front office sports that creating a four-team European division via expansion is something that is under consideration. The expansion fee for each team would be in the $3 billion to $5 billion range. What's your first thoughts here, Luke? My first thought is that putting a fucking entire NFL division in Europe, $3 billion to $5 billion, still won't buy you the commanders. <laughs> uh, that's a good point. but <laughs> Just insane. My thing is that this is not going to fucking happen. Yeah, I you know there there is a market in England especially and you know we saw what happened when Brady went to Germany there were like a millions of people that requested a ticket. I But I that's know. because I, it it only comes around so often. Are they really going to support a franchise week by week? Are they really going to show up on a Sunday? If you know in in Berlin, Germany, if Bayern Munich's playing that day, uh, no. Yeah, that that's a really good point. I mean, will they? You know, what if Monday Night Football's in Europe? How many of those Europeans, you know, are going to want to do something on their Monday night? Of course, for us in America, Monday Night Football is you know every every Monday for me during football season. Europeans would kind of have to adjust to that, and it's it's prime time. It's supposed to be a packed stadium with everybody on TV, you know, watching and. I, it would it would be cool to like you know talk about it and you know discuss what you know cities could host. Personally, I would like the NFL to keep it to just you know one or two games in Europe, not like a whole division. Because you got to think of like the teams that have to travel there and stuff, and the European teams having to travel to America literally all the time. Because yeah. you know the only other teams in Europe are the three other teams in their division. So. I, I see a lot of issues, but I don't think, you know, the NFL, they're, they're just seeing the dollar signs. That, that's really all they care about. But, like, realistically, there's not very many dollar signs here because I, I just genuinely don't think they could support a franchise like that. Like, look, when there's 
like we see this in American cities. There's already a problem. Like with the Falcons game. If you go to a Falcons game on a Sunday, uh, a one o'clock game, and the Braves play a one o'clock game, the Falcons are going to have an empty house. And if, like, kind of the example I gave, if there's a game being played at, you know, Allianz Arena and Bayern is, you know, playing away at Borussia Dortmund on a Sunday, ain't fucking nobody going to be there. Nobody. <laughs> it just, I don't know, it doesn't make sense to me, personally. I mean, it's it's like a fun idea to talk about, but like I said earlier, I really hope it doesn't happen. Don't think it'll happen, and I don't think it's feasible to happen. All right, well, let's talk about somebody's response to a tweet we actually talked about last week. Uh, Asante Samuel Jr. was telling Lamar Jackson, like, don't go to the Patriots, you don't want to play for Belichick. Matthew Judon quote tweeted him, said, hush up, it's different over here. I love this. <laughs> He's basically yeah. like, hey, don't, don't say sh- you're not part of this. Exactly. Um, he's just, you know, taking up for his head coach. And quite frankly, Matthew Judon's career has exploded under Belichick. He's a completely different player than what he is, than what he was in Baltimore. It's yeah. been fun to watch. It's been really fun to watch. Yeah. I, I love Matthew Judon. And if he can recruit Lamar, I think that uh, all of New England would love him too. Yeah, sure would. All right. Probably my favorite news of the week. Robert Griffin III is in talks to join Josh Harris's group for the commander's bid. I'm so happy about this. I love Robert Griffin III. Yeah, he's kind of um, uh, what what does he do now with broadcasting? So he's he he's an analyst for ESPN, um, primarily doing um, he does like games on like SEC Network a lot, um. Yeah. Like SEC and ACC network, and then he does a little bit of NFL coverage. He did the uh, he did the uh, stream for the like Pat McAfee show or whatever for the semifinal game where he left at halftime. Um, Lamar or sorry, not Lamar. I was reading the next thing. Robert Griffin the third has kind of become like bigger than his NFL career at this point. He's got a huge Twitter account. Gets tons of interactions when he talks uh, on there. Uh, a huge platform through ESPN. I, I really feel like he's transcended this, you know, injury-ridden, you know, what could have been NFL player. Yeah, I like how you brought that up because, you know, when he was in the NFL, I would have had no idea he could have brought the kind of, like, broadcast personality that we all love. I absolutely adore seeing clips of Robert Griffin III, you know, come up in my Instagram he is so entertaining and just amazing for the sport. And I, yeah. and like you said, he's really kind of turned his life around, I think, really. And uh, he definitely has a, you know, he has a voice for broadcasting. He's amazing. So Certainly. Uh, I believe, though, if he is in part, if he is a part owner of the Commanders, he cannot do any coverage um, either for the NFL in total or for the, just the Commanders. But I don't think that'll be a problem. He could stick to college football. But I can't wait to see the pictures of Robert Griffin III and Magic Johnson. Oh, dude. Yeah, because Magic Johnson's in that Josh Harris group, isn't he? Yeah. That is, imagine Robert Griffin III and Magic Johnson being owners of your football team. Dude, if Dan Snyder sells to that fucking Canadian, I'm going to be so mad now. 
You don't want you don't want the um is he the Greek guy? Yeah, Steve Apostolopoulos. Yeah. I don't why are you not you're not you're not with Steve? No. I want Magic Johnson and Robert Griffin the third to own a football team. Yeah, that the would football be team. Cool. The football team, exactly. <laughs> Formerly known as the football team. All right, we got a little Lamar to talk about. Ah, uh, man. I know. It's the littlest amount of Lamar that we've gotten to talk about all season. <laughs> or all offseason. So, Lamar Jackson in the Baltimore Ravens. It obviously, has not come to a close. It's still very much going on. But the end game of this situation includes the possibility that he won't play in 2023, 2024, or whenever it takes to get an offer that he won't refuse which most likely isn't going to happen, but it's certainly a possibility that he sits out a year or more. All I can say, all I can say, man, is like, look at what happened to Le'Veon. Uh, I think it was 2018 or 2019 where Le'Veon sat the entire year out, ended up making less money with the Jets. Of course, he got more guaranteed with the Jets, but less money overall, just his career completely completed. It's obviously, like you said, it probably won't happen that this, you know, he won't play in 2023 or 2024. But God, that would just suck to see, you know, Lamar not playing for two whole years. He's way too entertaining. Exactly. That's kind of the same boat I'm in with it. Like, yeah, he could sit out. It would be a bad decision for his brand, personally. I just, I don't know. I think it's kind of crazy. Yeah, but that's, I mean, the fact that that's even a possibility is just, you know, ridiculous to talk about. Yeah, it's wild. Let's talk about this uh, Patriots news. So uh, Bill Belichick, obviously the GM uh, and head coach of the Patriots, has shopped Mac Jones to multiple teams during the 2023 offseason. Full list of potential destinations is not known, but some teams mentioned as possible destinations were the Raiders, Texans, Buccaneers, and Commanders. This is very interesting. First of all, forgot that Bill Belichick was the GM. So when I read this the first time, I was like, why the fuck is Bill Belichick the one doing this? Then I remembered <laughs> he's the GM as well. But <clears throat> I feel like they're not really in a position to be shopping off Mac Jones. Hey, yeah, I don't either. Um, and he's honestly not a player that I don't think I'd really want to shop off just yet. Maybe, maybe they're bought in on Bailey Zappi. Maybe, but I don't know. Mac Jones, I feel like, still can grow a little bit. He had he did not play well last season um, compared to his rookie year. But like, if I'm Bill personally, I would still rock with Mac. Come on, Luke. Remember, remind yourself, you're not Bill Belichick. <laughs> I did say that a couple <laughs> times. <laughs> I'm also not Asante Samuel. Yes, <clears throat> but I I get it saying you know like. I, I get shopping Mac Jones just to see what's available, see what the market looks like for him. But realistically, they're not going to trade him. Yeah, but I don't know. It's It's got to kind of make Mac feel some type of way to be kind of like shopped this early in his career. Or at least I, I feel like if, if, I, if I was Mac Jones, which I'm not, Grayson, but if I was, I would be kind of a little bit butthurt. Yeah, that's so, fair. And I mean, I, I feel like it's, like I said, it's a little bit too early to shop him off, but you no, know, he hasn't been great. So I understand shopping him off, especially, you know, 
I like him on the Buccaneers, actually. That would be kind of cool. But the Patriots, there's no reason to. Not this early. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. All right, let's do a little bit of draft talk, and then we're going to talk about our three favorite offensive prospects in this draft. We'll start with the Cowboys. They're going to host at least two prospects on pre-draft visits tomorrow. That's going to be Clemson linebacker Trenton Simpson and Tennessee wide receiver Jalen Hyatt. What do you think about the Cowboys looking at wide receiver in this draft? They, you know, I've always said that I thought the Cowboys just kind of loaded at wide receiver a little bit, you know, too much, like kind of overkill. But that's just kind of how they are. And, I mean, it works. So cool. I don't necessarily have – well, you know, works. Is a strong <laughs> word there, but, but uh, it, you know, that's just kind of their game plan. I, I don't really know how to feel about it. Personally, I think they should be interviewing a little bit more, you know, secondary guys like in the defense, cornerback safety. But we're looking at a linebacker and a wide receiver positions that, in my opinion, they already have. Yeah, I don't see a reason. You re-signed Leighton Van Der Esch. You have Micah Parsons. So it doesn't seem like the linebacker spot is something you need to take up. Yep. The wide receiver Brandon, spot, you just picked up Brandon Cooks. You already have yep. CeeDee Lamb. Once again, you don't need to address it. Exactly. Um, yeah, very kind of bizarre there. And, I mean, they could even look at tight end. They just lost Dalton Schultz. Yeah, I, I'm going to give a little hint. I oh. think they're going to get a tight end in the draft. Yeah, they first round? Yeah. Yeah, they, they love, I mean, love drafting weapons for Dak Prescott to throw to the other team, too. That's true. Yeah, they love to to get guys that Dak can miss. <laughs> oh, All right, Tennessee quarterback Hendon Hooker flying today for a visit to the Saints, uh, coming off of his ACL tear. Um, a lot of people have been having him just fly up draft boards. Uh, New Orleans right now, they hold the 29th pick. I, it, from the way it looks, there's a possibility that he does land there. But there's a possibility that he goes in like the top 15 picks. So obviously, you know, interview the guy, see what happens. If he does fall into your hands, you know, pick him up. But I just, I don't, I don't know. It's a lot to gamble on with a 25-year-old quarterback. That, that's a good point. But I I like Hendon Hooker. Um, he, he's someone that I definitely don't think that um, GMs or, you know, teams should forget about. That kind of seems like it's been the case. You know, we've heard a lot of Will Levis, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson, you know, guys like that. Everybody's kind of forgot about Hendon Hooker, who was a, a you know, a Heisman-level quarterback at one point last season. So, I, I don't know. I, I think that people are writing him off a little bit too quick. Should he go in the first round, though? Ah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm, I'd be fine if he dropped into the twenties, but like some, I, I saw a mock draft where they had the Colts picking him wow. at, at four. And I was like, there's no shot in hell. The Hennon hooker goes first of all, before Anthony Richardson. And I, I don't really think there's a chance he goes ahead of Levis. He's, he's too old in this draft. And like, like he's got three years on a majority of guys in this draft. He's got, I, <laughs> like four years on Anthony Richardson. It's just, it's weird, especially coming off the ACL tear that 
he's getting this much hype at this point. Yeah, the I, I don't know the hype um the hype around certain players has been kind of weird because like even Anthony Richardson, somebody that was not on many mock drafts, you know, um in the middle of like college football last year, but ever since you know the combine hit, people were like, whoa, now he's on number one, you know, in some mock drafts. So the hype with this draft has been just so like it just you know back and forth. I, I cannot remember a time where you know, it's early April and there's still so much shit up in the air. I We still don't know who's going to get drafted number one. It's not like, you know, a couple of years ago where, you know, in fucking like March, Trevor Lawrence has already bought a house in Jacksonville. It, it's not like that at all, um, which is definitely making it a more entertaining uh, draft for sure. But yeah, just very kind of wishy-washy, 50-50 kind of thing going on. Yeah, I, I think it's safe to say that CJ Stroud is probably calling some realtors. In Carolina, but yep. there's really no telling. I, I saw a mock draft earlier today. They had the Texans taking Will Anderson, so I don't know what's happening. There's just no telling. But <laughs> I do know what is. I do know what is happening. Boston College wide receiver Zay Flowers. He is certainly having his moment. Uh, he's going to go on a top thirty visit with the Cowboys. Um, I absolutely love Zay Flowers. Anything that you know about him uh, out of Boston College? I think we talked about him a couple weeks ago, the fact that he put on 13 pounds of muscle before the combine. Yeah, and on top of that, isn't he like the fastest human of all time? He's certainly up there. I'm just That's all I've heard about him is what you said about him adding some weight to himself and also his speed. Yeah, it's the guy is a lethal. freak. And then Miles Murphy of Clemson, uh, he recovered from his hamstring injury. He's going to work out for some teams on Tuesday, uh, which is today. Um, but well, Adam Marietta. I've, yeah, I've seen Miles Murphy a lot, um, in the top 10 and I really would like to see the Falcons take him. I was about to say, I, I, you know, just kind of looking up, uh, looking up some stuff about him right now is he's actually five most likely, uh, first round fits for the Atlanta Falcons. He's the picture. Yeah, dude. I, I think so. that he's certainly an option. A guy that is in some interesting spots here, Jalen Carter. It seems like every week he's a second rounder, then he was first overall, and then he's third overall, and then he drops out of the top ten, and then he backs, you know, back into the second round. Like nobody knows what is going to happen with Jalen Carter, but uh, he did visit with the Bears. Uh, his second visit, um, he already visited with the Eagles. And his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, said that he's declining visit requests for any team drafting outside of the top 10, saying that I'm confident Jalen will go in the top 10. Wow. Huh. That is ballsy. <laughs> That's a, this is another one where we just don't know what's going to happen. I, I, but I will say, if he ends up in Philly, I'll rip my fingernails off. If he ends up in Philly, it's just unfair. It's just unfair. Yeah. It's just mean at that point. It's mean to everybody else that has to play football. Yeah, but you know, Jalen Carter would love to fucking join um, Jordan, oh Davis? My gosh, Jordan Davis, like oh, Kobe man. Dean, guys like that. I mean, it'll just be, it'll be dangerous if that's where he lands. Um, hopefully not, though. Hopefully. He would definitely be a good replacement for Javon Hargrave. 
I, yeah, I was just about to say, um, and you're, you know, replacing Javon, Javon Hargrave with another Georgia guy, just more chemistry there. Jordan Davis even looked good last year. Eh, man, that's just, that's scary. just bummer news. <laughs> it is scary. But also with the Bears at nine, there's definitely a possibility that they can get Jalen Carter. Yeah, I, I personally would like to see him end up in Chicago. I, I mean, yeah, they've I'm already, the you know, boat. housed. Yeah, they've already housed guys like Roquan Smith, you know, another Georgia guy. I think Jalen Carter will do better with Chicago. That'll be a team he can grow with. Yeah, for sure. And it's a team that's growing in general, so he could just kind of follow suit. Exactly. Osiris Torrance, offensive lineman out of Florida, said that he is the most dominant interior lineman in the draft. That is some confidence coming out of a guy that is not on a lot of first-round mock drafts. Uh, way to shut him down, Grayson. <laughs> uh, look, he's from Florida. I had to talk some shit, but I did see him in the 20s on one. But uh, look, the guy, fantastic. He's strong, built very well. It's it's pretty cocky to say that when there's other guys in this draft that are like top 10 talents on the interior I, offensive line. I have always hated guys about to get drafted, like come out and say shit like that. It, it, not because, you know, I, I'm a pussy and I don't like, you know, confidence or arrogance. It's just that like, you know, you're about to get drafted. I, just have respect for the guys coming in with you. You know, Josh Rosen did the same thing. He was like, there were 14 mistakes before me. I don't even know where the fuck he plays now. Serves him right. Nowhere. And I, exactly. I think he was with Atlanta for a little bit. Yeah, he, um, he was. I hope not. I don't think so. Um, I want to say he ended up with the Browns at some point last year. Okay. Well, anyway, I hope, you know, Osiris doesn't have the same, you know, thing happen to him where you talk trash before you get drafted and now you're a no-name. But It certainly um, could happen. It definitely could. All right. The Seahawks did it again. I'm tired of it. We need to put an <laughs> end to the awkward selfies when you meet with the Seahawks, because Anthony Richardson had his meeting with the Seahawks, and it's just another awkward fucking selfie with Pete Carroll's unphotogenic ass in the background. Oh, God. Hang on, I'm actually looking it up right it's now. It's so bad. And also, somebody put in Anthony Richardson's signing bonus that you'll do Invisalign for him, please. Wow. Um... Yep, it, Pete Carroll just—he he just doesn't look ready, dude. <laughs> he just doesn't look ready for the picture. There, I don't think he's ever been ready for a photo in his life. <laughs> Mouth open. I mean, looks like he's mid-sentence. <laughs> yeah, it looks like he's like, it's look. It looks like he's about to say like cheese. Oh, uh, uh, that's. <laughs> I got the giggles. <laughs> dude, oh shit! But no, all man. those pictures are just so ridiculous. <laughs> uh, Lord, but. Hey, to, to kind of highlight the broader picture here, and this is something that you turned me on to, I am 100% for Anthony Richardson to the Seahawks, man. Yes, like, dude. Like, what a destination for him to land. I I just hope and pray that he ends up there. As much as I want to see Florida players fail, I like Anthony Richardson. I like what he can, uh, what you know his potential looks like for the NFL. I'll put my bias aside. I would like to see Anthony Richardson be successful. Yeah, I, I like how you're you're putting your bias aside there. And and Pete Carroll, I mean, look at this selfie. He looks like he wants to draft him. Yeah. 
He looks like a fly is about to land on his tongue, but <laughs> close that mouth, Pete Carroll. Smile. Do something. Yeah. And you know, on top of that visit with the Seahawks, Anthony Richardson is expected to meet with the Raiders, Panthers, Falcons, Titans, Colts, and Ravens um throughout this tour of visits he's doing. So Anthony Richardson is certainly getting looks all across the top ten. Yeah. Titans may not be that bad for him either, but you know, with what I've said about Anthony Richardson is he he needs someone to sit behind, you know, for at least a year for 100 percent. I I think that um, sitting behind Malik Willis and Ryan Tannehill, you're probably not going to learn a lot. Um, so definitely it, w- it would be good for the Titans to get him, but not good for Anthony Richardson to be on the Titans. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Bears have a long list of prospects that they've met with at least twice, and it's a Interesting mixture of players. They've met with Tyree Wilson, the edge rusher out of Texas Tech. They've met with Jalen Carter, Paris Johnson, the offensive lineman out of Ohio State, and then Jackson Smith and Jigba, wide receiver. So it seems like the Bears really haven't made up their mind at where they're going at with this ninth pick, but I really do think they're in a great spot at nine. I do too. Um, and also all the guys you've just mentioned would definitely be an upgrade on their team, especially, you know, you can make the argument, oh, they just got DJ Moore and they have Darnell Mooney. Jackson Smith and Jigba, that would be a really, really solid pick. I mean, why not load up your wide receivers? You haven't had one since what seems like, you know, Alshon Jeffrey or Brandon Marshall. You know? So I like the Jackson Smith and Jigba pick a lot actually for uh, for the Bears, but Jalen Carter, I think it needs to be the way they go. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Uh, last thing before we get into these prospects, the Texans are hosting C.J. Stroud on a top 30 visit on Wednesday um, with the second pick. You know, they haven't – he's an option. If he's there, I don't think he will be. But, you know, you might as well talk to him just in case he falls into your hands. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um and and honestly, in this draft, of course, you and I, Grayson, both think that C.J. Stroud is the best quarterback and he needs to go number one uh, to Carolina. But do we really know? I'm not 100% certain that's where he's going to go. I mean, how could you be? Yeah, it's so hard with how this is all sorted out throughout this offseason. But I'm kind of digging my heels in. I'm going with C.J. Stroud there. But, you know, there's no real telling. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, like you said, good on the Texans for at least, you know, touching base with them. And and if that's where C.J. Stroud falls, maybe this meeting with the Texans, you know, he'll be fine with that. Yeah, we'll see. All right, Luke, let's talk about our three favorite offensive draft prospects, no quarterbacks included. Before we get into this, though, I have a nice announcement to make. Oh. Me and Luke, possibly Brock, I haven't uh, fully spoken to him. I know, you know, he's on his hiatus at the moment. So he's with Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brock is on a darkness retreat right now, figuring okay. these things out. But we will be releasing our official mock drafts. Each of us, our own mock drafts. We are not talking to each other about it, not, you know, figuring out, like, oh, like, who should I take here? It's all you. Each one is going to be its own thing. We're going to be making posts uh, on the Instagram, Twitter. Obviously, we're going to talk through them. Uh, on the Friday episode, April 21st, uh, a week before the draft. Mark that one on your calendars. It's going to be a fun one, and we're going to have a ton of breakdown there for the mock draft. So look forward to that. Luke, let's go ahead and talk about these prospects. 
Let's do it. Who is the I, first guy that you want to talk about? I like Jordan Addison, wide receiver out of USC. Um, just to kind of, you know, brush over what this guy's done throughout college. In 2021, this is with Kenny Pickett. He had 100 receptions, almost 1,600 yards, just 17 touchdowns. And, of course, in 2022, he transferred and saw a, you know, a tremendous drop in those numbers. 59 receptions, that's almost 50 less. Um, uh, 875 yards, that's almost half. Almost, uh, you know like kind of losing half there. But when he joined USC, he had to compete with guys like Taj Washington, Mario Williams, and Brendan Rice. But I, I also wanted to highlight that those USC stats, he still pretty much leads the team in. So he was the dude in USC with, you know, other guys that Caleb Williams also liked to throw, uh, throw to. Combine didn't really do him any favors, though. He he's I think he's like six foot... 173 pounds, I think is what he is. He only ran a 449, which is eh. Uh 34-inch vertical, 10 uh 10 foot two broad jump. And those are all kind of like just average to like below average numbers for him. But I think he, he's gonna slip because of this. I think he'll be super effective in the NFL. He can run almost any route. Um and yeah, he may have just had a bad combine. He looks good at USC, as I said. He only, you know, didn't really do as good because he had awesome receivers to compete with. But that season in Pittsburgh, man, uh, Jordan Addison, he, he's definitely someone that I think, you know, as I said, a lot of scouts are going to look over. But I think he'll be great in the NFL. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I really like Jordan Addison. But I also went with a wide receiver here, Zay Flowers. I can't talk about this kid enough. Obviously, the 13 pounds before the draft is crazy, but at only 5'9", the fact that he weighed in at 182 is phenomenal. Getting bigger to get ready for the NFL is huge, and he puts that on top of his 4'4240 with a 153-second 10-yard um, split, vertical jump 35.5, broad jump 10.7. The kid is ridiculous. Um. He was first team all ACC with 892 yards, nine touchdowns, 56 receptions. The, the kid is awesome. Um, he's got a, a strong change of direction. The hands aren't the best, they could be better, but he's got good ball skills. Uh, he works back to the throw very well, can be pretty slippery when he's in the open field. He can track catches extremely well. Routes are fast. Maintains his momentum on the turn. Like, there's not much more you could ask for. Everything that limits him is physical, and he overcomes that by just continuing to work on it. Yeah, out of Boston College, too. What a place to go. That is – I can't wait for Zay Flowers. Um, My number two, I went with Jameer Gibbs, the running back out of Alabama. In 2022 with Alabama, he had 926 yards, which was which was the most on the team, seven touchdowns, which was tied for the most. He had 44 receptions, which was the most um, it, out of the entire team. He had more receptions than any wide receiver tied in, which I thought was impressive and of note. Um, 444 yards receiving, which was third best on the team, and three receiving touchdowns. He had to kind of share reps with Jason McC uh, McClellan, who was, I guess, kind of like their more – 
sort of um, ground back while Jameer Gibbs is kind of your everything back. He is 5'9", but he's like 199 pounds, so he's a big 5'9". He ran a 4'36 at the Combine. I would argue that this dude is a little bit more versatile than Bijan Robinson. Not as good, but more versatile. And Grayson, in a league where running back twos are kind of becoming like the new meta, Jameer Gibbs is going to be perfect for any NFL team that wants to draft him. Yeah, uh, I've seen a lot of people having him either late first, early second. I think that's the perfect spot to go for Jameer Gibbs. I don't think he, you know, in, in a day where running backs truly aren't valued at the same level they once were, you know, we're not going to see a lot of guys go top 10. And if Bijan Robinson's going to go, you know, middle of the first round, Jameer Gibbs late in the first round should not be people saying that he's bad. It's simply just putting that, there's not a ton of value in picking up a rookie running back, and there is a ton of talent uh, you know, in different positions that other teams are looking for. It's just the fact that you don't have to get an elite running back to be a contender in the NFL anymore. Absolutely not. And, you know, we've seen it with teams like the Cowboys, the Buccaneers, uh, Baltimore, and even the Steelers with Jalen Warren. Is um, The running back, too, is becoming like this new meta. I, I personally love it. Um, I, I think it's really entertaining to kind of have like two backs that offset each other's skills. But Jameer Gibbs is kind of versatile. I think, you know, if you're running back, uh, one goes down with injury, Jameer Gibbs is a, you know, a great filler, or at least I think he can be. Um, but yeah, that's why I had him at my number two. I think he's super versatile and I love what he can contribute in the pass game. All right. My next guy tied in Luke Musgrave out of Oregon state guy is just a monster. 6'6", 253. He's got 32 and or 32 and 5 eighths of an inch arm length. Athletic score of an 86 at the combine. It, just ridiculous. And he runs a 4.61. Uh 36 inch vertical jump, 10-5 broad jump. The guy is just a huge, huge human being. And <laughs> surprisingly, uh his dad actually played for Oregon, um, and I I can't say enough about Luke Musgrave. I think that he is certainly one of the best tight ends in this draft, and he kind of came out of nowhere. Oregon State is not a school that you know perennially produces guys like this, but this guy's got a fantastic build for the NFL. He can certainly block. He can pass catch You know, just as good as anybody. They've got his comparison as Dallas Godair. Like, you couldn't get much better than that. <laughs> and the best thing is he, he's slippery in coverage. The routes are super good. Uh, linebackers are a mismatch on him. He gets um, – the footwork is super controlled. Very good run blocker. Strikes inside on the run block. Pushes up exactly what you want from your run blockers. And – just puts in so much effort no matter what you're making him do on the field. It's huge. I I like how you went tight end because my number three is also a tight end. I went with Darnell Washington, who is an inch taller than the guy you just mentioned, Luke, uh, Luke Musgraves, uh, or Musgrave, sorry, um, but probably has like a billion more pounds on him. <laughs> um, I've seen Darnell in person. He was 6'7", 270. Is it? I mean, he just looks like a freak of nature, and in a good way. I mean, this dude is built. 
tall as fuck. Um, I watched him jump over an Oregon player week one. Insane. Um, in 2022 with Georgia, 28 receptions, 454 yards, two touchdowns. But he also like had to compete with Brock Bowers. I mean, if anybody spreads the ball, it, it's Georgia. They they don't really have you know one offensive weapon. It's kind of everywhere. Um, his combine was ridiculous. He also ran a four six at six seven two forty. Yes, he ran a four six at six seven or no six seven two seventy. Sorry, he had a thirty one inch vertical. He had the same broad jump as Jordan Addison, my first player that I mentioned at you know six seven two seventy. I can't say it enough. Next gen stats has him as the second most athletic tight end at the combine and the second best overall among all tight ends in this draft. Um, and you know, the kind of thing with Darnell is he may not have the stats, but his versatility is going to be incredible in the NFL. He's six, seven, two seventy. I just said it again. He can block. He looks good after the catch. He can run routes. Decent. He has decent hands. I, I can't wait for this guy to be in the NFL. And I, I think mock drafts have him a little bit too high. I think he needs to go lower. Yeah, I've seen him all over mock drafts, like really anywhere from like kind of like late mid first round, late first round, second round. Like he's all over the place on these mock drafts. His impact is going to be immediate for whatever team picks him up. I'm kind of in that boat where even if you're not using him as like your tight end number one, he can come in and run block. He can come in and pass block. And He's still a threat 100% in the receiving game. So, I mean, his size and his weight and just his athletic ability, despite how huge he is, I mean, there's he's definitely a rare breed for sure. For real. All right, my last guy, Osiris Torrance. I got to talk about him again. It's, like, ridiculous how – just how much of a beast this guy is. 6'5", 330, uh, giant. Uh, the first-ranked guard uh, by Next Gen Stats at an 81 from the Combine. A 23-and-a-half vertical jump for an offensive lineman is fantastic. Uh, 23 reps on the bench. But started at Louisiana Lafayette, and then... And his junior year there gets first team all Sun Belt. And he only and he missed two games during that season. Follows his coach Billy Napier to Florida. He's a first team all or first team AP All American, first team SEC, and only eleven starts at right guard. And um finished his career without giving up a sack. And there was just so many things to like about this guy. He's very broad, super wide across the chest and waist. Um, he's so hard to get past because of it. Got strong hands for pass protection. He he reads spin moves very well. Um, very good at kind of adjusting assignments. He was penalty free in 2022. He's got strong pop off the line. And he held his own in that matchup against Jalen Carter very well. So a lot of fantastic stuff going on with Osiris Torrance. And uh, yeah, I think he's certainly going to be, you know, one of the top offensive linemen taken off the board. And something to add to that is uh, per PPF, I'm reading this now, he was penalty 
three throughout the 2020 season. That's incredible. Yeah, the guy's ridiculous. Well, I hope that gets you all excited for that mock draft. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about uh, some of our defensive favorites, and then we're just going to kind of keep sprinkling in a little bit of stuff about the draft to lead up to that mock draft. All right, Luke, let's talk. Do you remember? Yes. Can I please go first? Yes. You've got the floor. All right. Do you remember, Grayson, the 1994 AC Milan team? Because I don't, because that was eight years before I was born. <laughs> yep. Do you? I, I certainly don't remember. Yep, because I am older than you. But anyway, this AC Milan team, Grayson, had the likes of Berezi and Maldini. Now, Berezi was kind of older in this team um, with the young Maldini who had just hit the scene. It, just, just listen to this. So. There's there was 18 teams in the Serie A at this time, okay, so they played 16 or no 36 games, yeah 36 games because it's every you know home and away game for every team. Or no, it would actually be it'd be 35 or 34, 34, 18. 34 final answer because yeah because that you can't play yourself. Yes, it'd be like playing 17 teams. Okay, so yes. 34. They won the league, Grayson, by only scoring 36 goals. What? They only conceded 15. Damn. They won the UCL over Barcelona 4-0. And just kind of a general stat is Maldini and Baresi logged 297 games with each other. They had 141 clean sheets. Wow. So that is my do you remember is just how sick this AC Milan defense was. Yeah, that is crazy because right now let's, let's just compare this to the Premier League. Newcastle has 19 goals allowed. They have the lowest goals allowed in the league and they're, they've only played 27 games. Exactly. Um <laughs> And even the table um, from 1994 this season was just, it's just unbelievable. AC Milan won the league, as I said, with 36 goals scored. Second was Juventus with 58. Third was Sampdoria with 64. But AC Milan only conceded 15 goals. There wasn't a, there's not a single team close. Juventus only conceded 25, but that's still 10 goals. <laughs> Absolutely unbelievable season. Yeah, that and is They, lo they lost three games. <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable that's that's wild stuff there all right my do you remember it's coming from a big opening day moment in mlb history april 4th 1974 hank aaron it's his first home run of the season and ties babe ruth's home run record of 714 but before that series started to open the season the fans wanted Hank Aaron to sit out for that series so that he could break it at home when the Braves came back from their road trip to Cincinnati. He ended up actually sitting game two, came in, played game three, went 0-3, comes back and breaks the home run record with number 715 four days later when the Braves returned from their Cincinnati trip. I love wow. Hank Aaron so much, and... This, you know, the fact that he did it on opening day, like, think about how hard it must have been for him to finish the season at 7-13 and go 
all winter. Just like, I just need two more. <laughs> like that's, that's got to motivate you to just keep working. Oh yeah. And a player like him, you know, that was just at, like, that was probably like insects in the skin yeah. during that off season. Uh, one of, you know, and this is just kind of like maybe a generalized statement and I hope I'm wrong. But it seems like to me, if you're not from Georgia, Hank Aaron is just very much overlooked as an athlete among all sports. I definitely think he deserves a lot more attention. Um, I mean, he definitely gets the attention he deserves in Georgia. You know, 44 jerseys are everywhere. Yeah. I feel like, you know, and I don't know if you feel this way because you're, you're obviously the baseball, you know, genius. But Hank Aaron is overlooked a lot, I think, in my opinion. I think he gets overlooked in like that home run conversation shit because of Barry. But like all-time leader in total bases, uh, I believe he's I, – I got to pull up some of his like records, but – he leads in so many categories just across the board. Um, it's it's insane. I don't think there's many players that are going to push on most RBIs in a career with 2,297, most extra base hits, 1,477, and then that total bases record at 6,856. That is insane because when you look at that total bases record, at the time of his retirement, he had traveled over 12 miles farther on the base paths than any other player in MLB history. That's incredible. Love that stat so much. I was hoping, because I, I, I looked up Hank Aaron records as you did, and I was hoping that you would read that because that is just, that's awesome. 12 miles farther than anybody in MLB history at that time. Yeah. Wow. You know, not to include his, uh, I believe, 25. Uh, all-star appearances. Um, it just absolutely crazy. He, he played almost 3,300 games. Um, that puts him number 10. Or Sorry, that puts him 10 behind uh, Karl Yastrzemski. Uh, that puts him at third all-time. Um, it, it's just, he's such a legend. A, a guy that... I truly believe that he is the best of all time. Obviously, people can dispute it however they'd like, but I am I am a Hank Aaron guy through and through. I even ordered the City Connect hat. Oh, not the City Connect hat. That's I it. did. I had to because of the underbrim. What's on the underbrim? It's got a stitched in Keep Swinging number 44. Oh, I love that. Um, and just a couple more things. Looking at his Wikipedia, he was a 25-time All-Star consecutive. Yeah. For 25 years straight, I think Aaron was an All-Star. Yeah. And if you That's take insane. away his home runs, take away his home runs, he just still had over 3,000 hits. Oh my God. And on top of that, this is egregious. He was inducted to the Hall of Fame in 1982. He wasn't a unanimous vote. Yeah, that's crazy. That that's got to be some racism. I want to see the guy that that didn't give him votes. Honestly, you know, nineteen eighty two that that's a fair assumption. But like, how could you? Even, I really would like to know the argument for not you know voting for him. Like, what what grounds do you have to stand on? It was probably the same thing we deal with now, where it was just some old guy who was like, "Well, he's not Babe Ruth." Like, that's. <laughs> 
that's exactly what it was. It was like, he doesn't look like him. That's what that's probably verbatim how he put it. I, I can see that, but you know what? What a player Hank Aaron was. Yeah, absolute legend, the goat in my head. All right, Luke. Anything else you've got for the people? Um, no. I, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. All right. Well, we're gonna keep coming at you with baseball because I don't think I've ever had it this much fun following the MLB. Um. It's been a blast, and speaking of a blast, the Mariners just beat the living shit out of the Angels, um, eleven to two. I'm just enjoying myself so much with the MLB and coming here talking to the people, Luke. I know you've been enjoying yourself. You've definitely expressed that to me, and yeah, I, I couldn't be happier with where we're at right now. We got the draft coming up. Obviously, those mock drafts are coming up. We've got more announcements to come, and yeah, I, I just I can't wait to continue going riding into the summer. For sure, actually, real quick, Teosco Hernandez hit a home run this game. Oh, nice! Actually, two. I don't, all right. Well, we're gonna sign anyway. off for now. <laughs> catch y'all next week. Actually, we'll catch y'all Friday. I, I completely forgot because Luke was here. It threw me off. We'll catch y'all Friday. Peace. Peace.